We're going to continue in the series of the book of Romans. We've been doing this for the last few Sundays and uh, looking at what God has for us in uh, the, the, these portions of Scripture. If you haven't yet, you can turn to Romans chapter 5, and we're going to land there for a bit for the day. And as you turn there, let me ask you a question. What would you do with a gift of $1 million? What would you do if someone said, here, and gave you a check that had one followed by six zeros? What would you do with that money? Uh, Imagine you probably would give one-tenth to the church, right? (laughs) But you'd still have $900,000 to do whatever you'd want to do. And, uh, and, and most likely you might pay off your, your house, maybe your car, uh, but you still have plenty of money after that. You might invest some of the remaining money and spend the rest on a shopping spree of some kind, possibly. But there's almost no end to the possibilities of having a million dollars. Only God would bless you with that, right? Well, justification by faith not only brings believers into a peaceful relationship with God, but into a storehouse of additional blessings, blessings that are overflowing. Those blessings include access to God. Those blessings include grace, hope, and love. Paul described the blessings to God as much more much more, as you will see here in this portion of Scripture. Those blessings that God gives to justified believers. And for those of us who come to God through faith in Christ, many benefits await. Before coming to Christ, we had no merits that would cause us to deserve favor from Him. We did not deserve His grace. We did not deserve His mercy. But because of His love, He took the initiative and reached out to us, offering forgiveness and reconciliation. A minister one time asked a little boy if he would like to be born again. And the boy answered, no. If I were born again, I might be a girl, and I hate girls. (laughs) Now, of course, coming to Christ won't change you from a boy to a girl, or vice versa, of course, and it will neither reduce your age or increase it, but it will provide marvelous benefits you cannot find anywhere else. As we look at today's scripture in Romans chapter 5, be aware of the benefits God has for you. The benefits He has for you. We're going to look at verse one through, verses 1 through 5. And here we'll see that salvation brings peace with God. Salvation brings peace with God. Verse 1, Therefore, Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. We'll stop there at verse 5. Paul began this portion of Scripture with the word, therefore, because he referred to his earlier teaching 
about being justified. Earlier, we saw that we are justified freely by His grace. That is the grace of Christ. And with that in mind, Paul states four benefits that salvation brings. The first of which is peace with God. For centuries, we have pursued international peace. We've pursued domestic peace. We've also pursued peace in our daily relationships. If only we could have peace with people, right? Things would be so much easier. More important than all of these is peace with God. To say we now have peace with God implies we have not always been at peace with God. God has one plan for our lives, but we have followed our own plan, what we thought was good for us. He has one set of moral guidelines, but we have pursued our own agenda. But when we stop resisting Him, we can begin a relationship of peace. And Christ is the reason for our peace. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, he says, Now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace. Removal of guilt and condemnation brings peace. Peace with God. A second benefit that Paul states here, another benefit of salvation, is that we have gained access by faith into this grace. So we have access into grace. We see that in verse 2. The word access expresses the idea of being ushered into the presence of an important person, such as royalty. Christ introduces us into the presence of God, place of His favor, completely undeserved but gratefully received. And this is the grace in which we now stand. In other words, we are not occasional visitors, but we are residents of the king's palace. So we have peace with God. We have access into His grace. And a third benefit of the salvation is the hope we now have. Verse 2 speaks of that. Filled with hope. We are filled with hope because of the glory of God. We see the beginning of His glory now. Just, you just look at the benefits He has for us. But there are even greater glories awaiting us in heaven. This isn't our final stopping place. 1 John chapter 3, verse, tell, verse 2 tells us, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But what we, what we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And in Colossians chapter 3, verse 4, states that when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. And then 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, tells us that Jesus rescues us from the coming wrath. So the first three benefits cover the, the past, the present, and the future. Peace is a result of our past sins being forgiven. And at present, we enjoy His grace. And our future hope revolves around the glory of God. So it sounds wonderful. It sounds great, incredible. But then there's the fourth benefit 
as you may be caught there in Scripture. The benefit of rejoicing in sufferings. Paul affirmed that we also rejoice in our sufferings in verse 3. So the bad news is there are going to be sufferings. And some of you know all about this. You're living there right now. The good news is he enables us to rejoice in them. Some people whine about their sufferings. Some people whine in their sufferings. Um, some, people, some people weep in their sufferings. Some people still complain. And some others are even very stoic in their sufferings. But the believer, believer rejoices because God enables us to do so. The believer rejoices. So how can we rejoice in our sufferings? It's because God has given us a different perspective. Rightly taken, as verse 3 says, suffering produces perseverance. How can a person learn to persevere if there are no problems through which to press? There's nothing that will cause them to persevere. And furthermore, perseverance produces character, verse 4 tells us, which is what develops when we are tested and we pass the test. And as we develop character, we find we are also producing more hope. Have you experienced uh, sufferings that produced, produced perseverance, produced character and hope in your life? Some of you are enrolled right now in that school of suffering. Definitely not by choice. And you are in the testing process. But be assured that if God can bring you through these sufferings, and He can, you can be confident He will see you through to the end. And Paul claimed that in verse 5, hope does not disappoint us. What is the ultimate basis of our hope? Verse 5 tells us, it is the love of God which He has poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. God's hope will not let us down because His love will never fail us. He even gives us the Holy Spirit as our constant companion until we fully enter into His glory. So to be at peace with God means a change in relationship from adversary to friend. If you're not enjoying peace with God, you might be experiencing the hindrances of unconfessed sin. Maybe there's some previous negative experience that you've had with the church, or maybe even with an attempt to walk with God. Or maybe there's a, just simply a lack of understanding as to what it is involved in salvation. What does that mean? All of which can be brought before God in prayer and experience God's peace in your life. Salvation brings peace with God. We do not deserve these priceless benefits of salvation, but God gives them apart from any merit of our own. We'll see this in verses 6 through 8. We have done nothing to earn peace with God. Follow with me in verse 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. 
while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We'll stop there at verse 8. And Paul used three words to describe what we were like before we came to salvation. Powerless, ungodly, and sinners. It's not very good things. <laughs> In North America, a common assumption is that the way to heaven is through good works. If we are good, good spouses, take care of our wife, take care of our husband. If we are good parents, take care of our children like, like we should. If we're good citizens, take care of our neighbors. And occasionally maybe even dispense a little charity along the way. Surely God will overlook our shortcomings and let us into heaven. If we do enough things, be good enough. But God made it clear that when people are ungodly, and people are sinners, and people are powerless to change their sin natures, their future is bleak. It's not a good ending. He said in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20, the person who sins will die. Thankfully, God is merciful. Although we were still powerless to bring about a change in our relationship with God, verse 6 tells us Christ died for the ungodly. This is how God demonstrates His own love for us. And although we would be, He would be justified in condemning us to, to hell, instead, God gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God has done that for us. Have any of you heard of uh, Arnaud uh, Beltram? I don't know if you've heard of that name before. Lieutenant Colonel Arnaud Beltram was a 45-year-old decorated Iraqi war veteran. He was among the first French police officers to respond to an attack on a supermarket in the south of France on March 23rd last year, 2018. Beltram went, in, in, went inside the supermarket, gave up his own weapon, and offered himself up to an Islamic extremist gunman in exchange for a female hostage. Unknown to the captor, Beltram left his cell phone on so police outside could hear what was happening in the store. They stormed the building when they heard gunshots. Beltram was wounded, and later he died of his injuries. The president... France said Arnaud Beltram died in the service of the nation to which he had already given so much. In giving his life to end the deadly plan of a jihad, jihadi terrorist, he fell as a hero. I believe his brother, Cedric, gave it even more uh, accurate description when he told reporters he gave his life for a stranger. He probably knew he had no chance. You won't find many people who would do what this guy did. Verse 7 says, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, let alone those who are ungodly. Yet that is exactly what Christ did for us. No wonder Charles Wesley wrote, Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Paul claimed that this sacrifice for us came at just the right time. I can testify that God introduced saving grace into my life at just the right time. 
back on August 12, 1986. It, not before it, not after it, but right at the right time. In a place near Florence, Oregon, called Camp Baker during a high school church camp. I'd already graduated from high school, and it was the summer after my senior year, and we were able to go to camp. It was just at the right time, and that's what I needed. At a crossroads, I responded to the call of Christ and received undeserved forgiveness and began a new life. From there on, I've been trying to serve God as much as, I, much as possible, as God has enabled me. So why didn't you come to Christ a year, a month, or even a week sooner than you did? And maybe sometimes you've asked that. Why, why was, well, how come it took so long? Why didn't I come to Christ earlier? Because God brings His saving grace to you at just the right time. His timing is perfect. And remember that as you're praying for loved ones who don't know Christ. God's timing is perfect. He knows what they need. We have done nothing to earn this peace with God. Once we receive His forgiveness, we begin a new relationship with God. As we see here in verses 9 through 11. Look with me there. We'll see that Jesus' death for us provides a new relationship with God. Verse 9. Since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So in addition to being powerless, to being ungodly, and being sinners, Paul said we were actually God's enemies. Oh, great. So there's some more. We were deserving of His wrath. But people, people show they are enemies of God by, by expressing it in a number of ways, from simply disobedience to the commands of God to outright rebellion against His word and His ways. However, through the death of His Son... As verse 10 says, He has brought us into a relationship. Now we are reconciled. And we become His friends. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 says, All this is done by God, who through Christ changed us from enemies into His friends. You probably can think of people who have been reconciled to each other, whether it be family whether it be in a political realm, maybe even church reconciliation. But the difference between that and being reconciled to God is in human reconciliation, there, are, there may or may not be wrong on both sides. While in reconciliation with God, all the wrong is on our side. Biblical scholar F.F. Bruce said the idea of reconciliation may be compared to that of a king proclaiming an amnesty for rebellious subjects who are urged to accept his gracious pardon while it is extended to them. God, as 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 says, wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. 
As wonderful as it is to be reconciled to Him, the best is yet to be. Paul said, we shall be saved from God's wrath. Paul indicated in Colossians chapter 3 as well as Ephesians 5 that God's wrath is coming and will be poured out on those who reject Christ. However, believers will be saved from that wrath because they have received Christ as their Savior. Twice, verse 9 and verse 10 of of, uh, Romans, Paul asked the question, how much more? How much more? And in both cases, he compared the past and present with the future. We have been justified. When God's wrath is revealed, we will be saved. We have been reconciled. When death attempts to defeat us, we will be saved through the life of Christ. No wonder Paul said we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 11. Literally, this phrase states that believers boast in God. In, verse, uh, in chapter 2, verse 17 of Romans, Paul had criticized Jews who boasted of their relationship with God. Now, many, many Jews mistakenly believed God had chosen them because of their greater value to Him. When they bragged about their status with God, they were truly praising themselves. But Christians who boast in God truly brag in Him. They know that apart from His grace, they would exist without hope. The wisest choice any of us can make is to receive Christ and to enjoy His salvation. That's the wisest choice any of us can make. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. Probably going to have the people downstairs. Ellen's going to be going, it's done already? Helping with the children down there. But as they come on up, let me reiterate about how the Bible makes the way of salvation clear. Very clear. All of us are sinners. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 tells us, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's nobody left out. All, all of us are sinners. Secondly, because of our sin, we deserve death. That's the penalty. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 tells us, For the wages of sin is death. This death is not just physical, but actually means eternal separation from God. An eternity without God. That is hell. But the good news, the good news is that Christ died for you. Christ died for me. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then if we call upon Him, He will forgive us and save us. As we'll find out Later on down in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Think about your individual relationship with God. If you're not experiencing peace with God, 
and you'd like to experience that. He's just a prayer away. Praying that he would come into your, your life. Is there any reason why you should not open your life to Jesus and ask Him to come in and forgive you of your sins? I'm sure we can come up with excuses, but is there any good reason? If not, why not today? Why not today be the day of salvation for you? Before you leave today, you can be reconciled to God and begin enjoying the benefits of salvation. If you'd like to come and pray, you know, the altar is a great place to be. But whatever the case for you, whatever you do, my prayer is that you just respond to God in obedience. Would you do that today?